I ask you to open them up with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. Jeremiah, chapter 29. And I will pray one more time here just before we get started in our study. Father, we thank you for this time in your presence. Even as we worshiped, Lord, we, we sensed your spirit here among us. And we're so grateful that you watch over your church and minister to us. Lord, we want to thank you for the ministry that you're doing even there in India, Lord. And how the Holy Spirit, Lord, brings and bears the same fruit even on the other side of the world. You walk into one of their church services and you sense God's people. You sense worship. You sense the Word of God ministering into hearts. Lord, it's such a glorious thing to see how you work. Lord, I pray for the offerings that would come into this church, Father, the resources that you would provide. I pray, God, that you would continue to bless and prosper our ministry in order that not only would our needs be met, Lord, but that we would be able to continue to sow and minister to those needs of the missionaries that you have connected us with. We thank you, Lord, for the good things that you're doing. And finally, Lord, I ask your blessing now on Jeremiah chapter 29 as we look together to study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah chapter 29. The title of this morning's message is, You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail. A little bit of a, you know, take off of our common language. We're use, we usually reference that to email. We're all always connected now, it seems, always looking for mail, looking to receive mail. Well, this is going to be a letter. This passage, this Jeremiah chapter 29 is... Primarily a letter written by Jeremiah to the children of Israel who have been taken captive and are now living in the land of Babylon. So this is mail sent to them. This is a letter sent down to this people. You know from our studies the context, but quickly let me update you. This is the nation of Israel who Jeremiah has been prophesying for really years, warning them that God would be sending a nation to judge, a nation to discipline them. That nation named Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar has now come and, and conquered Jerusalem and taken many that lived there now captive down into Babylon. And so you can imagine this group of refugees that have been taken under conquest down into Babylon. You can imagine what would have been going on in their heart. A great sense of discouragement, a great sense of loss. Of course, God had been warning them, but they refused those warnings, and so this discipline and judgment has come. But what we see here in chapter 29 is God now looking to encourage His people. A word of encouragement for a people that are now under His discipline. For 28 chapters through Jeremiah, we have been studying God's warning and correction and rebuke of a people that are in rebellion. Well, now that judgment and discipline have come, God's heart immediately turns to comfort and encourage and endeavor to sow hope and, and future into their hearts. And that's what this chapter is about. You know, there's a psalm. You don't need to turn to it, but Psalm 137. You, you'll hear this. This is a psalm written by by one who was in this part of this captivity. And you hear a little bit of the heart that, that the people were experiencing during this captivity. By the rivers of Babylon, 
There we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked us for a song. And those who plundered us requested myrrh, saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Their hearts are broken. They've hung their harps upon the willow trees. There's no music left in them. This is a defeated people, and they are in a place of great discouragement. It is in this setting that God ministers a letter. What we notice here in verses 1 through 4 is that this is not just a letter from Jeremiah, but indeed this is a letter from God. Verse 1, Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah, the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. You get an idea of the timing. This is under King Jeconiah. Verse 3 tells us how the letter arrived. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. The very beginning of this letter says, Thus saith the Lord. This is not just a letter from a man trying to encourage. This is a letter from God. Jeremiah writes this, but it is ultimately from the Lord's mouth and heart. Thus says the Lord. And notice what he says to those captive that I have caused to be carried away. He wants this people to understand that I am the one that has brought you to this place. It is not the work of Babylon. It's not King Nebuchadnezzar. I, the Lord, I am the one who has taken you and placed you where you now are. This is going to be an important understanding as God looks to encourage them. That the people were in fact under the discipline of the Lord. This was not some failed military strategy. This was not some mistake that was made by a king. This is God disciplining a nation. And God is letting them know, I'm the one that has taken you. And they're away from Jerusalem. Listen, this is not a place they wanted to be. This is not where they wanted to be at all. Away from their homeland. Way out of their comfort zone. And think of how they went. They went away captive. You know, that's not a pleasant journey, being taken as prisoner. And the circumstances were not pleasant for them at all. It's a time of sorrow, fear, confusion. What happened? How did we get here? And I'll tell you, it's at those times that you most need to hear from God. And God sends word. God is not silent in this time of His people's need. No doubt they were discouraged and confused, and they needed to hear from God. You know, I have to say that there will be times in our lives where you need to hear from God. No one else will really be able to speak that which you need. No one will really be able to address. It, 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 it can't be family. It can't be friends. Thank God for all of those. But there are times in our lives when we need to hear from the Lord. 
We need a fresh word from heaven into our heart to give us a sense of balance and stability. What's going on? What's happening? I don't understand. I'm fearful. I'm confused. And you know, we get there for all different sorts of reasons. In the nation of Israel, they, they got there primarily because of their own bad choices, their own ill decisions. Have you ever been in a hard place because of your own bad choices and your own poor decisions? Can God speak to you even in that place? Can you find yourself in a place where you think, oh my goodness, I'm here because of rebelling against the Lord. I'm here because of things that I didn't listen to that God tried to warn me. Is there any hope for me now? This is a time when even in that place, God can speak to you and God will speak to you. And sometimes we just end up there, not necessarily by any rebellion or rejection of God. The truth is, sometimes it's just negligence. You know, sometimes you end up in a place that you don't like because you just weren't paying attention. You know, you should have been praying maybe a little more. You should have been a little more alert spiritually. You should have been thinking, a little more watchful, but here you are. Oops, <laughs> how did I get here? Well, you know how you got there, not on purpose, not necessarily in any rebellious way, but just kind of being haphazard about your spiritual life. And you find yourself in a place where you need to hear from the Lord. God will speak to you in that season as well. And, and this may be the most difficult time, is when we find ourselves in a difficult circumstance, even while we are obeying the Lord. Even when we're trying to serve the Lord with all of our heart and we're really looking to be faithful to the Lord and still we find ourselves in Babylon, in a foreign place. And Lord, how, how did you let me get here? Lord, why did you lead me to this place? I'm trying to live for you. I'm trying to serve you. And now I'm in a place that is not to my choosing or liking at all. Those are difficult times, but even there, God can speak and God would bring a word. I believe that in every case, we need to hear from the Lord. This letter comes from God, and it is, as we move on, verses 5 through 9, you will see that it is a letter of instruction. A letter of instruction. Verse, verse 5, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, so that they may bear sons and daughters, that they may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. We notice the instruction that God gives to this people in captivity. First, he says, build and dwell. Settle in. Guess what? You're going to be there a while. We find out in verse 10 that they're going to be there for 70 years. And the Spirit of God says, listen, don't, don't go down there and, and, and chafe at it and fight it. And oh my God, how did this happen? Just make, make do with where you are. Settle in, build, dwell in this land, plant your fields. I'm looking to settle you here for a season and I will be with you and I will bless you in that place. You know, there's two ways 
to allow the Lord to work in your life. You can resist him at every step and chafe and oh, just be, feel like you know, you're forced. Or you can learn to yield and receive that which God has called you to and allow the Lord to lead you in that place. There's a psalm. You don't need to turn. But again, I quote from the Psalms 32 and verse 8 and 9. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. God, through the psalmist, saying, look, I want to direct you. I just want to look and you go. I want you to trust me enough that when I, when I direct you, you're on it. Don't be like the horse and mule where I have to like, you know, work you over and put a bit and bridle in to get you to do and, and lead you to that place that I want you to be. This is what God is saying. Listen, you're going to be here. Settle in. Make, look to, look to, to be comfortable in this place. He go, not just building, but also, he says, start your families there in verse 6. Have children. Give your daughters to, son, to, to, to husbands and your sons to, to wives. Go ahead and be fruitful in this place. Allow the Lord to multiply you in that place. Listen, God wants them to increase so that there will be a people to return in His timing back to the nation of Israel. And God is saying, look, I'm not finished with you guys. Don't be down there in, 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 in despair. I'm still working. My promises for this nation have not, have not diminished. Yes, you're under discipline. Yes, I tried to warn you of this. But now that you're here, know that I am still with you and will work all things together for good. You know, even today, I think that we, we worry about our culture and our, our circumstance. We're living in what we think are perilous times, and I think we are. And there's a sense of fear, you know, my goodness, who, who even should, should we have children in this time? Should we even start a family in this day? I don't want to bring up children in this crazy society that we're living in. And you can imagine that might have been what these folks were saying. We're in Babylon. This is the, the, the epitome of the world. This is the most pagan place on the planet. I don't, we don't want to settle in here. And yet God is saying, look, settle in. It's not going to last forever. I'm with you in this place. Build your homes. Start your families. I will increase you even in this place. And he says, seek the peace of the city. You see that in verse 7? Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be. This is a a bloom where you're planted kind of thought. Where is it that you find yourself today? What city are you in? Seek for its peace. He says, pray for it. Pray for the peace of that city. This is something of God really using His nation as missionaries in this land of Babylon. I've sent you to a place. Yes, you're there under discipline, but that doesn't mean you can't be fruitful there. Pray. Seek for the peace of that city. You look to be a blessing in that place. Don't complain and think, oh my God, we can't do anything until we get out of here. This is the end. I can't survive here. God, take me back to Jerusalem or we're finished. God is saying, no, this is where you're going to be for a while, but I can use it. And I can use you 
Pray for the city. Look to seek for the peace of your community. Because as the community and city is blessed, you will be blessed. I'm able to bless you and I'm able to cause you to be a blessing, even in a circumstance that you would not have chosen for yourself. Be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. You know, I I think all of us are missionaries in some capacity. Paul said we're ambassadors of Christ. If If it's your family, seek for the peace of your family. If it's your job, seek for the peace of your job. If it's your church, seek for the peace and blessing upon your church, for your community, for your city. Do you see yourself this way? Do you recognize that God wants to use your life right where you are? Now, that doesn't mean that God won't lead you on. That doesn't mean that you'll be there forever. Neither were they going to be in Babylon forever. But it means so long as you are here today, be a blessing. Instead of looking for the circumstances to change before you can actually be fruitful, find a way by the grace of God to be fruitful whatever the circumstances. Because God can use it. God can use you in ways that you didn't even imagine. You were too, you were too busy complaining about your circumstance. You were too busy you know, upset with God about your circumstance that you failed to see the fact that that's the circumstance God put you in for His divine purpose. And oftentimes we miss the very blessing that God has because we are too busy being unhappy with what God has. God can bless you in that place. He goes on to say not to be deceived. In verses 8 and 9, he says, listen, don't listen to the false prophets. Don't listen to your own dreams. See, what was happening there, those, they some false prophets had risen up in Babylon and saying, you know, we're not going to be here long. Don't get comfortable. God's going to bring us back home soon. This isn't our promised land. God's going to deliver us. Nebuchadnezzar will fall and God is going to bring us back home. And God, through the prophet Jeremiah, is saying, don't listen to that. You're going to be here for a little season. And listen, 70 years for some, you know, that would have been the rest of their lives. And we're going to see that God is going to be able to bless them even in that place. But don't fall for the ear-tickling message. Don't, you know, that's when we're most vulnerable. When things are not, when we're not in a circumstance that is comfortable and that we really like, that's when we're most vulnerable to hear somebody telling us what we want to hear. Because that seems so like what we want. And that must be the Lord. But Jeremiah is saying, no. God hasn't chosen the easy way out for you this time. God hasn't chosen quick relief for you. God wants to actually use you in this place. And so this letter of instruction comes. Well, it's also a letter of hope. Let's move on. Verses 10 through 14. He instructs, but he also gives great hope. For thus says the Lord, After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 
I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. A beautiful message of hope. Verse 10, Jeremiah announces that it will be 70 years before God then brings them out of their captivity. This has got to be, for some, probably discouraging, but in the long view, it's encouraging because it says that God is not finished. It's not forever. You're not going to be in this condition forever. God still has purpose and plan for you as a nation and as a people. God still has promises to fulfill, covenant promises through your nation. God still has a Messiah. God still has a Jesus Christ to come through your lineage. And God is going to be faithful to complete these things. Not all is lost. God is still with you and God will bless you. And these years, although they will be difficult, different than what you had desired and wanted, they can be fruitful and you can flourish there. How about Daniel? How many of you would love to have the fruit of Daniel's life and ministry? Those of you that know the prophet Daniel and his writings. Do you know that Daniel's entire ministry was there in Babylon during this 70-year window? God used him in a mighty way right there in Babylon. While some, no doubt, were thinking, Oh, I need to get back to Jerusalem. I need to get back to Jerusalem. Daniel was faithful in Babylon. He was simply being faithful with the circumstance that God put him in and God blessed him and used him in a mighty way. We still study Daniel's prophecies today. He's, he's one that gives us great insight to end times. God revealed things to him. God used him. Miracles took place through his life. And, and the whole nation of Babylon was influenced by Daniel being placed at the right place at the right time by the hand of God, and him being faithful with what God gave to him. Don't imagine that just because it's a difficult setting that God can't really work. Oh, you know, I can't, I can't serve the Lord right now. As soon as my circumstances changes and I get out of this mess, then I'll be able and ready to serve the Lord. But who can serve the Lord in this setting? And this is the way that we sometimes think, and it oftentimes robs us of the very things that God is looking to do in that setting. Do you, do you think the Apostle Paul could have known? Imagine now with me. The Apostle Paul sitting in one of those prisons, writing out on a cold, damp night, writing out one of those letters to the churches, writing a letter to... Ephesian church, to the church in Philippi. I just, I don't know what was on, going on completely in his heart, but I have to believe there were moments when he had fears and doubts and anxieties and wondered, Lord, will this letter, will, will this letter even arrive? And Lord, if it arrives, will they, will they even receive it? Will they read it? Will, it? will it really minister into the heart of the church? Do you think he could have had any way of knowing that those letters that he was writing on those cold, night, lonely nights would eventually become inspiration to millions for generation upon generation? You and I today, we hold these things as the word of the living God. 
Oh, Paul knew he was, his writings were inspired, but I don't think that he could have known what God had planned. And even in a very difficult and dark circumstance, God was using his life in ways that he didn't even imagine. God is looking at eternal things. And you don't know, but your life and your faithfulness today is affecting not only your generation, but generations beyond you. God can use a faithful life. God can use faithfulness. And it takes, a ta- it takes kind of putting yourself aside. It's a different way of, of looking at your Christian walk. It's not about how to get God on my team and blessing me and doing for me, although He is going to bless and do for you and has done for you, but it's, it's really learning about how to allow God to use your life for His glory. And it is the greatest use of your life. You will never be able to outdo what God has planned for you. But you will never come into that if you do not learn how to lay your life down and allow Him to use your life as He desires. He who seeks to save his life is going to lose it. But he who's willing to lose his life for my sake, he's the one that's going to find it. And God is going to use that individual who is willing to be a tool in the hand of the Master. Let's look at verse 11. This is our famous verse, isn't it? This is the one we often quote, and so we should. It is a beautiful promise. But let's take a look at it just bit by bit. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Other translations interpret that, that word thoughts as plans. I know the plans that I have for you. And that is a proper interpretation. That word means intentions, plans, or purpose. I know the thoughts, intentions, plans, and purpose that I have for you. And it's good to know that God already knows. I have these thoughts already in my heart and mind. I'm not making this up as we go. I have prepared something for you even before the foundations of the world. I know the thoughts that I have. They're already in my heart. They're already in my mind. Oh, if we would just let God speak, if we would let God lead, He's already got something worked out. We're worried. We're anxious. Oh my goodness, now what, God? What are you going to do now? How is this going to work out? And we don't know, but He does. I know the thoughts that I have for you. I've already settled my plan in eternity past for you. And it's something good, not for evil. We move on for peace and not of evil. God is not looking to destroy us. God is not looking for ways to make your life miserable. Are you sure, Pastor? Because sometimes it seems like he's, uh, there's a conspiracy. God's thoughts are for peace. He loves you. He loves you with a love that, that you have never known anywhere else. There is no greater love in the universe than the love that God has for you. That's what He thinks about you. That's the plan that He has to bring Good and peace, not evil. Will God judge those that reject Him? Yes. Will God punish those that rebel and are completely disinterested in His love? 
Yes. Will God let men have what they so are determined to choose in rejection to God? Yes. But is that what He wants? No. He, his thoughts for you are for peace and not evil. Don't you see? That's what Jesus Christ is all about. The Prince of Peace. He came that you might have peace with God. He came and offered His life as a sacrifice for sin that we might know the peace of a relationship with God, with our Creator, the way it was supposed to be from the beginning, before sin, and before our own shortcomings, and before our own mistakes, and before we messed it all up. God has made a way to restore that which was lost. And He calls you to peace and joy and, and eternity through a relationship with Him in Jesus Christ. And we see it there, a future, to give you a future and a hope. God is not finished with His people there in Babylon. And God is not finished with you and me. God loves us and He's looking to bring us into a future and a hope. Philippians Paul said this in chapter 1 and verse 6, I'm confident of this very thing, excuse me, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You've tasted something. If you've come to the Lord, you've tasted at the beginning of something good in your life. And God's promise is, that which I've begun, that little foretaste that you have, and you know it's right and you know it's good, I'm going to finish it. My commitment is to bring it to full completion. And it is that that is your future. That is your hope. Paul said to the Romans, For we are saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Interesting that Paul would say that. Listen, a great deal of your salvation is a salvation that exists in hope. And he goes on to say, now listen, when, when you can see it, and when it's already here and you already have it, that's not something you're hoping for. You've already got it. But Paul is saying, much of our salvation, much of the promises, much of what God intends for us is future. And it must, be, it must remain as something hoped for. And how do we embrace those things that we hope for? Through faith. Through faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. This is the Christian life. It is a life of faith, hope, and love. Yeah, but I, I, I want it now. And you know, that's, that's kind of the way we're wired, isn't it? And especially in our culture, I think especially as kind of Americans, I mean, we showed you some slides from India. They have a whole different level of hope than we do. You know, we, we've got everything now and we've got everything. What do you want? Everything. When do you want it? Now. And if God isn't performing, we're frustrated. Oh, Lord. And I don't mean to minimize some of your struggles. I know some of them are very, very serious. But I'm telling you that no matter how serious, the God of the universe is with you. And He's able to work even in that setting. Not just work, not just get you through, but to use your life 
in a way that would glorify Him. And that has eternal reward. Paul said, I am convinced that the temporary trials and troubles of the day, I'm paraphrasing, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. God has for you and I a future and a hope. You must understand that it's going to be embraced by faith. You're not going to have everything you want right now. Not every circumstance is going to work out just the way you'd hoped. But God is able to use even those settings for His purpose and His glory. And you're going to have to continue to walk in faith. Isn't that what it says? Finishing out that little section I've read to you, verses 12 through 14. God talks about personal relationship, doesn't He? You're going to call upon me. You're going to pray and I'm going to hear you. You're going to seek me and you're going to find me when you search for me with all your heart. This is how these things are going to be going to going to stay alive in your heart. This is how you're going to keep hope alive through personal relationship. We still have the responsibility to pray and seek the Lord. And this is a people that he's speaking to who did not turn to the Lord before. They wouldn't seek him. They wouldn't pray. They didn't listen. And now God has brought them into a place where they're going to search and turn their hearts once again. And God is working in our lives too in such a way as to turn us to Him. I like what Warren Wiersbe says concerning this passage. He said, The purpose of chastening is that we might seek the Lord, confess our sins, and draw near to Him. God is looking for relationship with you and I, and God is, is consistent there with Jeremiah as well. Through Jeremiah, God is calling His people back to Himself. I'm going to finish out the chapter here today by summary. I'm not going to take the time and read out the the rest of the text. But I am going to summarize it for you. The letter continues. I think you've heard the heart of the letter in what we've looked at. But Jeremiah would go on to send and complete a letter of warning in verses 15 through 23. He reemphasizes this idea of not listening to the false prophets that were there in Babylon already trying to give false hopes. We're going to go back. And they were saying things like, look, we still have a king there in Jerusalem, Zedekiah, and God's going to work it and restore it, and the nation's going to rise again. And Jeremiah said, that's not going to happen. Don't listen to these guys. The king and the people that remain, they're going to be the the bad figs that I talked about back in Jeremiah 24. They're going to perish. And so they did. And he even calls out two examples, a man by the name Ahab and another one, Zedekiah. And he said, not only are their words false, but their lives are false. He says they've done disgraceful things, adultery, lying. And you know, so much of false prophecy can be discerned sometimes merely by the false lifestyles that men live. And Jeremiah, the Lord calling these guys out, look, these guys are... These guys aren't even living like men of God. How would you imagine that they could speak to you the Word of God? He says that these two guys are so disgraceful that they're going to be roasted in the fire. I saw that and it reminded me of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember them? Remember Nebuchadnezzar threw them in the fire? It seems Nebuchadnezzar had a thing for fire and throwing men into it. So, no doubt, these men, maybe they even stirred up a rebellion there in Babylon, trying to rally the Jews to kind of resist, and they were caught, and Nebuchadnezzar put them in the fire. But God put out those false prophets. 
And he gives a letter of warning to those living in Babylon. Don't fall for it, guys. Don't get caught up in these ear-tickling, everything you want to hear, everything going to be the way you want it in a hurry. Don't fall for that message. And I could say the same to us today. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for that message that sounds too good to be true. Everything you ever wanted right now. God is everything you've ever wanted. And you have Him right now. But God is talking about a heart and a relationship, not things and stuff and, you know, uh, make me happy kind of a feel. God is looking for men and women that love Him and that know how to walk with Him even in, in difficult circumstance. His final warning there, I believe, is also a letter that speaks a letter of punishment. And again, summarizing verses 24 through 32, there was a false prophet by the name of Shemaiah. Shemaiah was living there in Babylon, and he heard of Jeremiah's prophesying that they were going to be there for 70 years. He didn't like that. So he himself wrote a letter back to Jerusalem, where Jeremiah was, back to the priests, and said, Hey, Jeremiah is telling us that we're all going to be here for 70 years, and it's upsetting us. We don't want to hear that. Can't you do something? Can't you shut him up? And he writes this letter back and he calls Jeremiah. He's, he's, a, he's demented and considers himself a prophet. Now think about this. Jeremiah has been prophesying now for many years. And so far, everything he said has come to pass. He's the one that said there would be a nation called Babylon that would come and take you captive. He's the one that said King Nebuchadnezzar would carry you away. He's the one that, that predicted everything that has happened. And now he's telling you what's going to happen again. And this guy, Shemaiah, hey, Jeremiah, he's demented. He calls himself a prophet. Well, so far he's batting a thousand. Everything he said has come to pass. Do you really think that you should be going against his words right now? But nevertheless, this guy caught up with himself and he wants to know why they haven't rebuked Jeremiah and put him, made him to be quiet. But... Jeremiah's words did come to pass. And Jeremiah would then actually, through the, the word of the Lord, would come to Jeremiah and speak even to this false prophet, Shemaiah. Look at verse 32, and we'll close here. Look what would come to Shemaiah. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah, the, the Nehelamite, and his family, he shall not have anyone to dwell among this people, nor shall he see the good that I will do for my people, says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. Not only would Shemaiah be punished, but his whole family would be punished. And here's the punishment. He will not see the blessing that I have planned. He will not be a part of the good that I have in the future for this people. And this is what happens when we reject the Lord's way. This is what happens when we simply will not yield to what God is calling us to walk in. Not only do we end up frustrated and kind of reaping the consequences of our own ways, but we then miss the blessing that God intended if we would have simply walked in His way. And Shemaiah is one that would, would lose the very blessing that God had for the whole nation. 
In some cases, I think the Lord has to break the will. To be honest, even in the life of sincere Christians, those who love the Lord have received Christ as their Savior. They've confessed their sins and they've received His forgiveness. Yet they have not made Him the Lord of their life. They are still in pursuit of their own interest. Their motives may be good, but they are attempting to lead the Lord rather than being led by the Lord. There's a difference. And God is calling us to yield and submit to His leading. Not my will, but thine be done. And this is something for even sincere Christians. This is a nation that has now come back to the Lord, but they don't want to submit to what the Lord is calling them to. And yet God is encouraging them, hang in there. It won't last forever. You'll be blessed even while you're there. I'll use your life while you're there, and I've got a future and a hope for you. You and I have that same opportunity today to choose to yield what the Lord would call us to, to be faithful in the place that God has placed us, and to allow Him to direct your life. God, God would bring those. They wouldn't stay there forever. God would lead that people back. But on His timing and on His terms, and you may be in a difficult setting, and God would promise you, listen, it won't last forever. Ultimately, we're going to go be with the Lord. Didn't Jesus say, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. That's our hope. And it may be that in this life, you'll have tribulation. Well, I shouldn't say it may be. Jesus said you will in this life have tribulation. So, you know, you get out of one crisis only to find your foot in another, right? There's always going to be trial. You're always going to be having to learn to allow God to use your life in that setting that he's placed you. And He will lead you. He will deliver you. He will bring you through and bring you out. But He will only have another challenge, another opportunity for you to be used for His glory before you. So it's learning to be faithful and learning to trust Him and allow Him on His time and on His terms to work those things that He has for us, that He would be glorified. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word to us through the prophet Jeremiah. It seems to me, Lord, that the heart of man has not changed that much. It seems, Lord, that the very things that your people were struggling with back here, 600 B.C., we still struggle with today, 2011. And I pray, Lord, I pray for my own heart, Lord, that I would, that I would not be like the horse or the mule, that you would not have to put bit and bridle in me to get me to move and to steer my life. I want to be, Lord, one that's attentive to you. And I just, I just want to be looking at your face in such a way that, that even when your eye moves, I see it, I notice it, and you lead me with your eye. Your very glance directs me. My heart is submitted. My life is yielded. I'm yours. This is my desire, Lord. I, I confess it is not... It is not yet completely my practice. But I pray that you would so work in my life and heart that I would become that kind of yielded vessel to you. And Lord, not only for myself, but for my brothers and sisters here today. There's a lesson here for us all, Lord. I pray that you would direct us and speak to our hearts and correct us and 
encourage us and give us that future and hope once again alive in our hearts, Lord. That we would call and You would answer. That we would seek You and we'd find You as we seek You with all our heart. And as our heads are bowed here just for one more moment, I'm going to ask You to give me an opportunity for those that may be here today that need to respond to the Lord. You may be here today and and you don't have a relationship with the Lord. It may be that you've not been walking with Him. Maybe you've never really walked with Him. Maybe you've never really embraced this peace that He is offering. Peace that I spoke of earlier. That peace that comes through turning our lives to Jesus Christ. Not Embracing Him not only as Savior, but coming to Him as Lord. And maybe the Lord has spoken to you today and you want to respond to the Lord. I'm simply wanting to pray for you. And that's what responding to the Lord is. It's opening up your heart and being honest in prayer before Him. I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're someone that does know the Lord. Maybe you've even had a relationship with Him. and Maybe even a close relationship with Him in time past. But today, God has once again spoken to you and you realize, I'm not where I need to be in my relationship with Him. I'm not seeking Him with all my heart. I'm not really yielded to His will. I know Him, but I'm not following Him. I'm wanting Him to follow me. I'm wanting Him to do what I want rather than yielding my heart to be available to what He wants. And maybe you're here today and you simply need to yield your heart to the Lord afresh and anew. Rededicate yourself to Him. and Lay down your will and take that bit and bridle out and, and be willing to be led by the Spirit. I'd love to pray for you too. So just as we close, if you're here today and you need to come to the Lord for the first time or you need to come and resubmit, rededicate your life to Him, would you simply raise your hand where you're seated so that I can pray for you. Anybody here? Bless you, one there in the back. Over on my left as well, ma'am, I see you. There in the center as well, God bless you. You in the back, ma'am, God bless you. You as well. Any others? God bless you, sir. And you as well, God bless you. The Lord's speaking to some hearts, and I'm so thankful that you're responding to Him. Don't be like the mule or the horse now. This is the time to just let the Lord have His way. Anyone else before we pray for those that have responded? God bless you and you in the back as well. On the left here, God bless you. Just before I pray, anyone else you want to give place to the Lord? God bless you, sir. bless you as well. All right. Quite a few today. Thank the Lord for the work He's doing in your heart. Let me simply pray for you and we'll close our service today in a song of worship. Lord, I do sense Your Holy Spirit really moving in the heart of people today. 
And I know how much you love us. You love us so much that you sent your only begotten Son to die on a cross for us. And He died not just to demonstrate love, although certainly He did that, but He also died to provide a sacrifice for sin. He became something of that spotless Lamb of God offered for the sins of men. He lived a sinless life. He was God in the flesh. The Word made flesh. And He came and He lived perfectly and then offered His perfect life as a sacrifice for our sins so that we might have peace with God. And so today, Lord, for those that have responded, we set our heart afresh on Jesus and we acknowledge that it is Jesus that sets us free from sin. It's Jesus that gives us peace with God. I can't find it on my own. I can't earn it on my own. I need you, God. Forgive me and cleanse me and wash me afresh and anew. Lord, that there would be no more guilt, no more shame. God, that you would completely cleanse the hearts today. And not only cleanse them and forgive them, Lord, but I pray for each heart today that you would come and begin to lead them and guide them by your Spirit, that you would become Lord of their house, and that they would begin to submit and watch you work and do wonders in them and through them. We give these things to you, Lord, and we confess, Lord, that's what we desire. I want to live for you, and I want your life in me and through me. I want to be faithful in my generation. I want you to use my life in whatever setting I'm in, Lord. I just want to see it as a mission field. Use us, Lord, and be glorified in these that have responded and be glorified in the life of your church. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.